0: Welcome, everyone, back to the Engineers Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. We have Andre, who's the Director of Engineering at Pega Systems over in Netherlands. Pega Systems uh, have built an awesome loco platform that uses AI-powered decisioning and workflow automation to solve some of their clients' challenges. We're going to be uncovering some really interesting details and challenges surrounding what they've built, and André is going to guide us through some of that and talk to us about some really interesting scalable and data challenges. André, thanks for joining us. How are you? Good. Very good. Thank you for having me here. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. We always do this on the Engineers podcast, André. It would be a really good idea to get an overview into you, your role in the business and also what Systems do for some of our listeners who don't know you or don't know the business.
1: Maybe let's start with myself. And as I said, thank you for having me here. It's really nice opportunity and in a way a challenge for myself. Uh, and I hope that, that at least one sentence that I'm gonna say today is gonna resonate with the audience and I'm gonna help them with uh, whatever they are uh, looking for. When listening to this podcast, my personal story in a way, uh, very boring, uh, because since I remember myself, I've been in love with technology and software and building. And that's what I do pretty much for my entire life. And that is my hobby. That is my work, which is pretty cool. And uh, I work as a software engineer, I started as a software engineer working in uh, multiple companies. And uh, by the way, I'm originally from Minsk, Belarus, but pretty early in my career, I moved to Amsterdam, to the Netherlands, where I also worked as a software engineer. But something that probably describes me and something that I took from my university class, my uh, professor used to say that uh, an engineer has to be lazy. And a good engineer has to be enormously late. That I I kind of took this to the heart, and that's my motto through life, (laughs) which annoys my wife sometimes, of course. But uh in my day-to-day work, at some point I realized that I actually don't need to code, I don't need to write software myself, and I can uh have other people doing this for me. I can have I can work with other people uh who will do this, and uh that's how my uh, engineering manager, engineering leadership role start. Okay. Um, and, uh, what I do, what I. Actually do, um, I like to describe this, that I do whatever needs to be done. And that means that I have sort of a multiple personality disorder. On one hand, I'm managing an engineering team here in Amsterdam, in Pega Amsterdam. And I work with teams, I help them to build software. I work with uh, other engineering managers and help them to grow leadership, their leadership roles. On the other hand, I work with customers, helping them to solve their problems and uh, resolve their issues. And also sometimes when I have time, I try to be hands-on and uh, look at the architecture, maybe even sometimes implementing some tools. In the end, I'm just doing a lot of engineering work
2: and a
0: lot of fun. I think something that you touched on that really resonates with the podcast as well if you say one line that someone can take away from this podcast Mm -hmm. that's what we're all about building so uh, i think this is the first time that we'll ever speak about a low-code platform Mm -hmm. what a low-code platform is and some of its utilities we'll uncover that Mm -hmm. but I think you hit the nail on the head about what engineers is all about. Before we talk about low-code platforms, which is you know a hot topic for today, can you talk to us about who Pega Systems are and what problems they solve? Yeah,
1: of course. So, uh, you know, a general sentence that would describe Pega is. It is a scalable, low-code platform for AI-powered decisioning and workflow out, which is a very packed and compressed sentence uh, that is, probably doesn't tell you anything. And maybe in the next five or ten minutes, I will try to unzip it uh, so you can understand it a bit better. One thing I really wanted also to mention that the Pega is not new to the market. Pega, we, we actually celebrated 40 years uh, last week. 40 years on the market, uh, which, which is pretty cool. And we are um, located in many uh, different countries, uh, and I represent here the Pega Amsterdam, which is pretty small office to be honest. Let me go back to this scalable local platform uh, for decisioning and workflow. And there are three key words here, platform, decisioning, and workflow. I will probably start with a platform. One thing that it's kind of important to, uh, to say here, that we are building a platform or a framework, or in other words, uh, integrated development environment or business. Mm-hmm. We're not oriented to end consumers, we are oriented to business, we're business to business platform. In other mm-hmm. words, we give them tools, we give businesses tools so that they can build applications whatever applications uh, for their customers. And sometimes I describe this also as a Lego constructor. So we have a platform with a lot of building blocks that you can stack together and get any application that you want. It can be as big as a a sales platform or as small as a to-do list really depends on what you want to build we just give you the platform that's the platform part the decisioning and workflow i think it's probably better to give an example here as well something that resonates really well with me and uh, it's a situation that happened to me last year and i'm pretty sure that it happened to many people who are listening to this podcast as well last year i've been traveling for business and on the way back i got stuck in an airport Basically, the airplane got broken. And the worst part is that we were in the airplane sitting for three hours waiting until the issue got resolved. But in the end, it just says, no, sorry, the airplane is broken, we're not going to fly. And that's, well, as a <laughs> as a passenger, it's, a, it's, it's really a terrible situation to be in. But as a business, as the airline, it is a huge problem. Yeah, Because suddenly you have, 300 passengers, you have 300 people who are angry, tired, they unhappy, and you need to deal with them. Now, what do you do? Maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the, the standard thing to do would be to send all of them to an agent, and then agent will handle these uh, passengers one by one, writing them new tickets, sending them to hotel and so on. But that means that you have 300 people waiting in a queue for hours before they get handled that's not really nice and that's the where the decisioning and workflow automation comes into the picture what we try to do here is to start engaging with customers and passengers in this case before they get to hate as i walk out from the plane i get uh, an email that says hey, uh, I'm sorry your plane got canceled, but we already booked you into a hotel, and you also booked you a separate flight tomorrow. Yep. Don't worry, just go relax, and here's also a voucher for dinner, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay? And, well, I'm telling you this, but probably it's, it's a, in, in, in the present world, it's a very natural thing to happen. Everybody expects it. If you look under the hood, and you really think of this, what it takes for a company to build this, it is actually pretty complex because, yeah. well, you have 300 people. The first question is, like, what is the best thing to do for them? What is good for me may not be good for you. I'm okay to go to a hotel and sleep for. You mm-hmm. are not. You are having your connection flight or you have some other urgent needs. So deciding what to do for a person is not a trivial task. And well, usually we call this that's a decision in process. And once you decide something, okay, go to the hotel, rebook the flight, I don't know, cancel the flight, then you need to go through an automation that will actually do this. Because to book a hotel, you need to go into the reservation system. To book a separate flight, you need to go to the reservation system as well. And there are multiple steps that needs to happen in order the whole transaction to be completed and somebody needs to orchestrate it. That's, in essence, what we try to help companies to build. It would be untrue to say that other companies don't do this or yeah. we are the only ones who do it. That's not, that's, not, that's not true. And in fact, I don't even know whether the, my travel was handled by Pega or by some other company. I don't know that. What we strive to do is to make this type of use cases, this type of implementations accessible for business. So they don't need to involve IT departments and developers, engineers, to build it. It's actually a business who can implement this type of um,
0: transaction. Interesting. Okay. My question to you is going to be, was this HEGA that actually built this system? You don't know that answer. There are some things that I'd love to explore in regards to real-time decisioning how that actually happens and who that's being done by we'll come on to that in the next couple of moments uh, are you able to give us some concrete examples of where some of your clients have implemented pega into mm-hmm. their business and what value that they've actually seen
1: oh yeah of course yes so well the example i just gave you is potentially real Pega implementation but i don't know whether this particular case was Pega or not, but yeah. we do work with airlines. We do work with airports to handle this type of situation. Uh, most of our customers are in banks or insurance companies or telecommunication companies where they need to automate all sorts of processes. And you can th- think of this simple as okay, address change, that's yeah. a process, or applying for a mortgage or handling insurance claims. Okay, so that's what our primary business is. We help these big enterprises, and those are really big enterprises. You can think of top uh, five hundred, top thousand companies in the world, uh, and we are helping them to automate their processes and add uh, our know, AI um, capabilities. Yeah.
0: mix. Touching on the real time decisioning, mm-hmm. my head's spinning with. <laughs> how this actually happens yep. who makes the decisions the the scale and the volume you know the the speed of that decision
2: mm-hmm.
0: there's a couple of things there but it would be great to understand what actually happens under the hood yep. and the challenges when building that and why it's so seamless for customers
1: maybe we can go to a slightly simpler example, and which is very real. And a lot of customers use us for this. We call this, well, we, we like to call this as a one-to-one customer engagement. The example I just gave you was the airplane. This is one-to-one engagement, engaging with your company. Yeah. But this is also a very obvious example. You, you, we have a problem we need to engage. Yeah. There are a lot of situations when it's not that obvious. And uh, you want to keep this engagement continuous. Yeah. So one very simple but very popular use case that we have is sort of, I would call it the marketing use case. Okay. Um, a simple example, you log into your um, bank account and then you see all sorts of uh, funders that try to sell you something,
2: right? Yeah.
1: And the reason you see this is because business, or bank in this case, sees this as an opportunity to engage with you. You you log into your website, and we can start a conversation. Yeah. And depending on how well you do this, you can increase your uh, revenue, click-through rates. And that's what we help uh, banks and telecommunication companies and others to do. It's literally uh, you log into your bank website, uh, to your account, and then a REST call goes into Pega. And Pega, the REST call, will tell you what banners do you need to display, and sometimes even where. you want to see the big one or somewhere on the side? Small. What. And you might have even multiple banners to represent the same thing, but depending on who you are and your preferences, we may give you, we may show you different banners. You know? But as this REST call happens, uh, it, well, it, it may sound okay. Well, many companies do this again, right? <laughs> yeah. There's nothing very uh, cool about this. But if you dig into the technical details here, well, first of all, the rest call needs to happen, you're not yeah. going to wait until the banner will spin for seconds here. So it needs to happen in 100, 200 milliseconds max. And that's the whole run. But as we execute this call, we also need to consider all sorts of business rules that are applicable uh, yeah. to this customer. Yeah, And, and if you ever work in a bank or complex enterprise, you know how how many rules they have. Actually, engineers hate them because they have hundreds and sometimes even thousands of very specific rules that apply to regulations and uh, okay. customer preferences. There's so many rules. So we need to evaluate all these rules before displaying something to this person. Yeah. Yeah, we also need to know what is the current holding of this person. Maybe you already have a credit card, so why would we try to show it again and again? Yeah. Or, yeah, maybe uh, insurance. You don't want to show certain insurances if the person doesn't have a house. Next to these business rules, we also want to apply some machine learning and AI. And in particular, we want to evaluate the probability of a person liking or needing the the thing that we're going to display. And all of this needs to happen in 100, to hundred milliseconds.
2: That's yeah.
1: not easy.
0: <laughs> no. So, yeah, Uh, I was going to say, especially you touch on the rules part. Mm -hmm. We've spoken about rules engines on the podcast before and building those, how complex they can be and how they're constructed. So especially if you're working with banking or financial clients, Mm -hmm. going through rules engines, you know, the speed that you need that to happen. I can imagine that's really tough and then interfacing that
1: also as it is uh, you know rules are usually for the for the business people and yeah. they are not engineers so they not they don't really care about performance characteristics they don't know yeah. uh, whether comparing a list of items this way or that way has any performance implication they don't know about it. they just want to express their business business rules And I'll go back to this at some point, uh, because that's one of the interesting learnings that we had uh, in the past. Um, But I also wanted to mention that if you look at the, this requirement that I just told, the REST call and and AI needs to happen, business rules happen in a short period of time, for one, big bang, you name it, but. a a bank with uh, millions of customers Mm logging into their accounts all the time, or maybe they're using their mobile applications to do payments. And those are sometimes thousands of calls per second for a single bank. Yeah. Now, we as Pega have more than 1,000 clients of this sort. (laughs) Yeah. And that means that you have one huge bank another huge bank and a third and fourth, and, and and so on and they all making these decisions in parallel yeah which at some point means really tens of thousands sometimes hundreds of thousands decisions that they need to make every second wow and that's yet another dimension of uh of a challenge that we have to, to solve this especially it became a problem recently because we well in the old days we would sell our software to the on-premise customers right and yeah. then the scalability is not is not really our issue anymore, yeah, it can install whatever the software they have or hardware, yeah but in the last five years, we migrated the majority of our clients to what they call pega cloud, yeah, yeah, and that's a cloud offering, yeah, and that means that well now we are responsible for scaling we are responsible for the service level agreement and um you know, obviously, we, uh, we use all sorts of uh, technologies behind the scenes to achieve this. We use Kafka, we use NoSQL database, we use data processing pipelines. We recently started to use Kubernetes that helps us to you know to partition customers, isolate them, and do all sorts of smart routing strategies to ensure that we, uh, we can deliver our
2: SLAs. Okay,
0: there are a couple of things I want to ask Mm you. I I am aware we've probably jumped ahead a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Would we be able to explain to people what a low code platform actually is? Because there might be people mm -hmm. listening that aren't really sure what we mean by that phrase. It's relatively new to the market and I attach it to certain products, Mm -hmm. but it would be good to understand what you think a low-code platform is.
1: hmm yeah, yeah. And I maybe can give you two examples Cool. A very primitive one. Um, just think of you needing to build a website for this product.
0: That's my one as well. <laughs> That's, That's my <laughs> example that I use for people. <laughs> okay, yes.
1: So you, you need to be out of your mind to go and start coding HTML, JavaScript, I don't know whatever other programming language, right? You don't do this today. You take something like a WordPress or any other sort of a low-code platform that will help you to build your website without knowing yeah. anything about software. You just go, you use a template, you apply certain uh, configurations, you build the content, you focus on your content in the end. Yeah, and that's that's the you can think of this as the low-code for building websites or yeah, web, web shops. Yep. Uh, so the Pega as a low-code platform is very similar in nature, but for enterprises, for big banks. You don't need to learn Java. You don't need to learn Docker, Kubernetes, or Kafka uh, in order to build your um, sales platform or call center platform. Or yeah. mortgage application portal. Yeah. Okay. So that that's what mega like, is. You literally don't need to know uh, engineer, well, software engineering on all
2: these technologies in order to build yeah. pretty complex platforms.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That that's exactly my example. <laughs> People come to me and ask me about loco platforms. Mm-hmm. I always use the the Shopify website expression to try and explain and articulate that you can actually construct it um, without actually knowing any software engineering or having any technical background. It it would be good to understand from, you know, building this real-time decisioning platform, really what's been, A, the biggest challenge, B, the biggest learning.
1: It is interesting, but the biggest challenge and the biggest learning are kind of correlated. Yeah. So the the biggest challenge is how to do this fast. Okay. Yeah. But that's but that's uh, in a very simple term.
2: But you could also ask why is it a challenge to make it fast? And what we
1: learned in the past is is we approached our platform in the wrong way. We just talked about the low-code load, load platform, right? But typically when people think about the low-code platform, they really think of, okay, I will be programming, but I will be programming in a visual way. I will uh, draw shapes and arrows and block diagrams, and that will be my local Yeah. Okay, that, and that's how we started, by the way. Now, I really believe that this is not, what low-code platform is, and that's that's our big mistake that we made here. I'll explain why. Yeah. So you you, you can think of this. Okay, we have I, I mentioned those technologies like Kafka and databases, data processing pipelines. So obviously we have all of this in the background. But then, as a as a software engineer, you tend to expose those technologies in a much simpler way to um, to customers. For instance we would start and say look you can create a queue but so we don't tell you where this queue is uh, but it's just a high level concept of a queue yeah and by the way you can also apply some um, processing on this uh, queue and you express this processing as the block diagram Yeah. And so now our customers can go and create queues they can uh, attach some State and block processing on top of this queue. Then we also said, look, you can also have this uh, uh, visual decision-making process uh, interface that, again, like a a flowchart diagram, but now uh, tailored for decisioning. And then you can stitch all these things together. You don't need to write code, and this thing gonna work. Once we release this to uh, customers, what we realize that they start to use it in a way that we
2: didn't expect. So,
1: for example, they would go and create two hundred queues. Yeah, and start moving things from one queue to another, then call decisioning process, uh, call some databases for some data, in a way that was much indistinguishable from the normal software, but instead of writing code, you just do this in a visual way. So I I call this an imperative paradigm. Right? So you really describe how the system should solve your problem. Yeah. Move record to this queue, then pick up, then apply decisioning, then move to another queue, and so on. So on. But in essence, that's just a programming language. And once you give people who are not engineers uh, to the programming language, they will create yeah, yeah. a mess. Yeah, yeah. They will create a mess that we need to run and we need to, uh, well, guarantee that it executes in a, of course. in a certain time. But how do you do this? If I, if I give you a Java-like visual language and then you are free to write whatever you want, I cannot yeah. guarantee to execute this in two hundred milliseconds.
0: Yeah, exactly. That that would be a challenge. Not really understanding like the concepts of software engineering, but why would you think to apply them um, when you know it's a low-code platform and it's easy to construct things
2: mm-hmm.
0: and you know build a workflow a certain way? You're not really understanding what's happening under the hood or some of the changes that you're making there's there's quite an interesting thing that sprung to my mind around challenges with data and i know that's something that you're particularly keen to talk about and one specific example being con- controlling contracts using spark databricks and and MapReduce. but i think that the wider Data challenge itself would be really useful. I feel for people to mm-hmm. learn, listen, and understand. So, can you share how that actually happens with Pega yeah. and some of your clients? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I, I actually won't be talking about Spark and uh, Data Bridge here, um, uh, but the concept that um, I want to talk about. It generally applies to many, many aspects of software engineering and actually beyond software engineering, also in the daily life. Yeah. So w- 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 what I what I just described to you, this challenge of someone imperatively, like procedurally describing how to solve a problem. We realize that this is really not a good way of doing that. Yeah. But instead, uh What we started to do, we started to ask our customers,
2: "What is actually
1: you want to achieve in the end?" Don't tell the platform how to get there. Tell the platform, "What do you want in the end?" You, you in, in sort of, you just declare the outcome. You declare what you want to get. I want to uh, yeah, increase the happiness factor of my. Customer. I want to. Uh, sell more uh, products. I want to increase my customer base. So on, so on, right? The, instead of telling how to achieve this, tell the system what do you want. And I call this nowadays. I think it's uh, it's fair to call this as prompt engineering. You now with ChatG, ChatGPT is a, is a, is an amazing example of this uh, declarative prompt engineering. Instead of uh, they they show that instead of you you take all these tools and machine learning uh, libraries and then solve your problem, you actually reverse the process and you go and describe what you want in the end. Yeah, the system will find the best way to do this. But so in in our particular case, we would say that instead of describing the decisioning process, we would um ask you what are the business rules that apply to your uh to your domain describe your business plan. then describe the outcome that uh you want to achieve i want to yeah get more uh, customers or m- yeah m- m- more revenue or whatever the metrics you're trying to optimize and then this becomes a sort of a desired state. That's the declaration of a, of, of a user of the desired state of the universe. Yeah. Uh, this is what I want, and these are the constraints that I have. And then behind the scenes, the system will start the, well, kind of generate the implementation of this uh, uh, process, how to get to this desired state. We'll start, we'll create Kafka queues, we'll create all sorts of uh, data pipelines that move data around. Mm. But the, the key here is that it's no longer the low-code developer who creates this automation. It is us who can today create one Kafka queue, tomorrow create five Kafka queues. Maybe then we find a new best way to execute decisions. I would just substitute something behind the scenes, but the contract, the desired outcome stays the same.
0: Moving to prompt engineering, I'm I'm really visualizing it as as you're explaining it. It actually reduces some of the problems where you've probably had in previous times with people using the platform with no software engineering understanding have. Made a bit of a mess of the platform because you've probably created such a, a saturated system with, I'm sure, many cues that in the end that don't really do a great deal. But actually, getting to that prompt engineering phase and asking the user where are you looking to be, that can actually make the decisions for them instead of taking them on that
2: journey. Yep. Start yes. Yeah,
1: another very simple example that, that uh, we struggle a lot. Uh, we have this, well, I described you the decisioning process that we call inbound, you are calling your a website, just calling the rest. Yeah. Sometimes you wanna do the, the opposite. I, you, As simple, you wanna send emails or whatever other ways to reach out to a customer overnight. Yeah, yeah you have uh, Black Friday, you want to go through your uh, entire customer base and offer them something. What we used to do in this case, we have this concept of a batch pipeline that you can run. And we would would ask customers literally to tell how many threads do you want this pipeline to run. What are the failover policies do you want to apply? And, you know, especially when you, if you work with Spark or you work with uh, Flink yeah. or any other pipeline tool, you know this, you can you configure nodes and you configure priorities and threads and memory and a lot of technical parameters. So what we used to do, we would, ex- we would expose those parameters to a low-code developer. <laughs> and, oh, what did I do? And I say, oh, you asked me about number of threads. The only thing I know that I need to complete my campaign within one hour, so let me put 100.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, well, 100 or 200. Can I put 1,000? Yeah, maybe. And that's, uh, that's what they would do. And the fact that you put 100 doesn't mean that you're going to complete it in one hour. And in yeah. fact, the end user don't have enough information to reason what would be the right value to put. So instead of this we would start turning it into you know upside down how fast do you want this to complete what is your sla for this campaign to go out got you and from this point we can okay now we i don't know whatever we run behind these things maybe we go with threads maybe we go one thread or one machine 20 machines really depends on the underlying implementation it it is coming to the how do you establish the right contract with your
0: yeah, yeah. user? I, I think that's that's a really interesting place that you've got to. And I'm not sure if ChatGPT accelerated that process, but I'm I'm going to start using prompt engineering. But it seems as if the platform has evolved with how. Um, users now know how they can actually use a platform Mm -hmm. which I think is a really interesting concept what's to come over the course of this year or let's say 12 months what's Mm -hmm. to come in some of your engineering departments
1: well well, you you can probably imagine that the um, whole chat gpt and uh, the Language models they are, yeah, dropped in the whole uh, everyone,
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: And especially in the well, uh, not especially but in low code uh domain, it is a hot topic because so yeah. you know, everyone sees an opportunity, uh, everybody feels that this is a big thing, but. Um, nobody really knows yet how to apply this exactly. Yeah. Right. So you, you can also go back in a few years ago when this blockchain was a big thing, right? Yeah. Everybody was trying to do a blockchain because they'll feel okay. This is something we need to use it. The uh, so same happening with GPT and other True. language models. And in fact, we already have. Uh, a number of features that are coming out uh, probably in June that will leverage the uh, prompt engineering. You would be able to think, do things like, hey, uh, I need a process for request a credit card. Okay. And uh, the system will just generate you automatically this process because GPT is very good at explaining you what is the typical and average process of. <laughs> uh credit card application is. For decisioning, we are experimenting with a very interesting um feature that would generate you uh text uh of email messages or uh banners. We we actually conducted an, a, a research that says that depending on you you may get very different reactions uh, depending on how you approach a person in terms of uh the message yeah. that you write. Yeah just yeah. So these type of things we're going to be doing for sure.
0: Will a million percent be keeping an eye on (laughs) what you're building, some of the feature releases? You know, in June, obviously, really good luck for those. You're directing engineering. You've probably got visibility on uh, on what you're looking to hire into the Netherlands office. We've got Mm -hmm. as a podcast a a really big presence in the Netherlands. So if people are listening (laughs) and they're genuinely very interested in what you're doing and what you're building. Talk to us about some of your growth over the course of this year and beyond and what you're looking to bring into the teams, if any.
1: really depends on when uh, you are listening, because it can be uh, you listening.
2: True.
0: We we'll
1: start with May. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I would not really focus just on Netherlands, because our presence is... Uh, Pretty big in, in in US, in India, in Poland, and we are hiring across those locations. Um, and typically, we are looking for uh, I, I I usually describe this as a as a, just a strong software engineer. We don't care that much about uh, frameworks or all these. Uh, um, you know, cool and trendy things like Spring Framework or knowing the Terraform. Yeah, we're really looking for the core engineering skills typically. And we are hiring in data science departments. We are hiring in core engineering. We are hiring in cloud, in security. We're, we actually have around three thousand uh, engineers in the company. So, yes, wow, we do have a lot of. <laughs>
0: Um, opening. Wow, yeah, that's pretty phenomenal. Uh, and I yeah. think learning from today more about the business—a forty-year-old business that has evolved to times where you service a thousand clients, and you're now involved in—I love the word prompt engineering. I'm going to start using it definitely. But you're there at that point, the, the business has to be a fantastic business with really solid foundations to really continue to evolve and support you know many a thousand clients so it's really interesting to see what you've done i I think it will have the same appeal for people listening and there's obviously an array of opportunities across cloud security software engineering so if you are listening, the careers site as always is Below in the description, check out the guys and girls at Pega. Andre's based in Netherlands, but as you know, they're hiring multi locationally. So feel free to reach out to Andre. And uh, I want to say a big thanks, Andre, for coming to join us, giving us lots of insight into Pega, the business, how you service some of your clients, what a low code platform is but also the challenges around building, you know, a real-time decisioning platform and and what's to come has been awesome with so much context. So thank you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for having me here.
0: It's an absolute pleasure. And as usual, for everyone listening, you know, it's really important that people do like, share, subscribe to the platform. that we can actually allow and continue to propel us forward so that people can share their stories. And again, you know, a massive thanks and we'll see you soon for another episode. Hey guys, thanks for watching this episode. Uh, Massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.